Um, so, hey everyone, welcome to a new podcast episode. It's a Sunday, Sunday night on my end, and Sunday, what's it? Time-wise, Kat? Afternoon. Afternoon. Perfect. Afternoon. And afternoon yeah. at Kat's end of the world. Um, we came together for another podcast episode on today's topic is yeah somewhat special and we also got a listener's question uh, from someone who is like hearing our podcast uh, more frequently so we will maybe just start with that one and then we can continue hey guys love the podcast just finished binge watching all three episodes um I was hoping you guys could do a episode on what species you can collect in different countries. Um, I'm from Australia and collect a variety of Australian species. Um, and obviously, I'm planning my retirement and want to know what country to go to so that I can collect as many exotic tarantulas as I possibly can. Um, Another suggestion I had was possibly also uploading your episodes to YouTube, um, which would give you the ability to put down links in your description um, and kind of have access to that as well. Um, And if you could update your website, that would be great. Thanks. Bye. He just asked on like where you can legally collect tarantulas when he's about to retire, he want to travel the world and stuff. So today's topic is more about not the legal and illegal part of the whole tarantula import and export, but maybe more about the ethics behind the whole collection stuff. So what is your opinion about the whole yeah. topic? Because I think you already did a video on it and you probably got a good opinion about the whole topic well yeah i am not totally against wild caught tarantulas i think that there's a place for it um and i think it can be done ethically i think that um a lot of people out there have caught wild tarantulas and brought them into the hobby and bred them and established you know populations and that's great But I do think that um, there is definitely people out there collecting um, things illegally. And um, obviously, I don't condone that. But even just ethically taking, you know, so many tarantulas from the wild, um, that that Mm -hmm. kind of does raise some questions. Uh, And I'm sure you can kind of expand a little bit, too, on that. Yeah, it's quite a quite a hard question to answer since the whole ethical part is like it's it's huge because what should be the ethical part behind tarantula collecting so you don't want to harm the population on site in the country of origin or you don't want to like export any specimen uh, when it's not allowed by the law so i think these two parts are like critical since like you can export legally huge amount of numbers of wild caught tarantulas from certain countries but on the other hand it's like not allowed to get five uh, different specimens from a single species 
out of a country because they don't have any allowance or, or legal uh, chance to do that. So it's, it's a hard, hard topic. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on that. And um, everybody's moral compass is going to be different too. So you have to hmm. consider that. Um, so just to get some numbers into the whole game and also for the listeners. Is that the correct word, listeners, though? I don't know. Okay, good. I think so. So for the listeners, um, so before Chile actually stopped their exports, uh, they exported just a single farm. It's not the whole number for the whole country, but one single tarantula farm from one single person uh, exported between 20 and 30,000 adult wild-caught tarantulas every year. So oh all your God. Gramostella roseas, Gramostella porteries, all these homeoma species, they were coming from Chile in the past couple of years in a legal way, in such huge numbers that it's like there's no way that this is ethically correct. But it's legal. That's insane. I didn't know it was and that it's much. it's probably way more than that since these are the articles I found uh, just from this single person who was running this farm. Everything officially, everything legal, everything fine with permits by the government. They had exports permits, they had import permits. You could like import uh, tarantulas from Chile with ease. Um, you just have to pay, of course, the whole uh, officials, like the ones in line with the customs and everything. But at the end, you get like your 200 Gramostola Roseas for like $2 each and it's everything legal. So how should this be ethically correct and sustainable? That's so mind-boggling to me too because there's no way that's sustainable at, at any rate, um, especially because when I entered the hobby, it was around the time Chile had closed the borders and I specifically wanted a rose hair tarantula and everyone i asked said ha good luck with that chili just closed their borders you True. can't find them and you would think if we had so many that were legally floating around why were people not breeding them like they should True. have been this whole time yeah. is it because it was just easier to just pull them from the wild it was all legal so they made it easy for everybody to get those adult specimens and so people didn't bother to breed them. And now now that's why we couldn't have them for, or we couldn't yep, find them the for a while. That's also with all the other Oyoplos and Homeoma species, which are quite beautiful and rare and very long lived, but you don't get any offspring from them. Yeah. It, it's kind of interesting because people will focus on a very rare tarantula, you know, to get into the hobby and breed those. And then we forget about, True. The basics yeah it's crazy but these numbers wow. are insane and yeah if you think about uh the whole CITES part um like you have specimens and species of course of tarantulas who are protected by CITES like the appendix two for example the brachypelma and now tiltocatl uh, species from mexico and now also the petsiloteria uh, from india and sri lanka they are now protected by law which means that if you are trading them, you need to comply to these uh, CITES Appendix 2 standards. 
And so they regulate the numbers, not just with the country of origin, but also when, like you from the U.S., breed one of your Brachypelma specimens and you want to sell them to me in Switzerland, even though they're captive bred, uh, you have to manage it uh, through the whole CITES part. And uh, that's a whole other topic because it's also like it has nothing to do with ethically correct and and sustainable and ecologically sustainable and other words you can throw in. Uh, It's just about legal and illegal. And it certainly is. uh, Yeah, it does not like help uh, the tarantulas in their native uh, environment, in their country of origin. No, not at all. So what was the main point from from your video you made about the whole uh, illegal? And how, how did you come up with the topic, actually, for those of you you didn't well, like, you know, watch your video? So the topic was inspired by a friend of mine, Nate, who um, owns a business called Micro Wilderness. And a big thing that he does is he does work with local entomologists and he'll collect a female and a male from the same area, breed them. Half the sack goes back out to that area. The other half hits the hobby, um, you know, and that had raised, I guess, some questions when he was capturing some females one night and had um, taken video of it and posted it in a group. And, you know, of course, people mm. have strong opinions and I, I get it. Um, it, it does look um, very poachery to be digging a tarantula out of the ground or flooding it out of the ground and, um I remember also in the video, he said that it was their sixth female that night. And uh, somebody commented on my video saying, like, I get what you're saying, but six females in one night is poaching. Um, I kind of disagree on that. But, you know, I I get it. Some people are just never going to be okay with it. And it is Mm. what it is. But that's kind of what inspired it. And what the conclusion, at least on my end, was about was that I don't think that there was anything inherently wrong with uh, what he did or what he does. Um, And that I think that putting more laws in place um, against people collecting um, or at least importing them around isn't always helpful to stop wild caught because um, you need to, you know, obviously protect their habitat and, stuff like that too you can't just put these laws into place and think that it's going to make a difference or think that it's going to stop anybody because it might stop people like me if something becomes illegal but it's not going to stop the people out there that are doing it yeah like the professional posters um, yeah essentially yeah and that's just my opinion of course but that was just kind of the gist of what i thought Mm. and um, I reached out to you because I, I thought, you know, you would have some good insight also. So I'm super happy we're doing a podcast about it because I'm sure you have way more to share than just me. Well, yeah, it's it's a critical topic because when you think like 10 years back or maybe 20 years back, uh, the people who like started back then or who were like already the veterans back then, it doesn't really matter. It's like all the people in the hobby like had something to do with uh, species of tarantulas coming from the wild into the pet trade. And it was completely normal, but it was done at a scale yeah. which was negligible. Like you get like three 
specimens of a species from your vacation. And then with these three specimens, you were able to breed this very species. And then you had like captive bred spiderlings. And then you gave them to friends. And there was no money involved in anything. But this was actually how the whole hobby started like 20, 25 years ago. It was like people who were interested in spiders uh, were like looking for them in the wild and just got as many as they were able to breed them. It was not like we go out there, collect 20,000 specimens each year and then sell them to Hobby Lobby or something. It's like it's Mm -hmm. totally changed. There are so many new people now uh, who are like in this invertebrate keeping hobby that the demand is way higher than it was like 20 years ago. So the methods also changed. And of course, there were new people coming into this whole hobby, which have like, they are here from the money. They're not here for the spiders. But at the end, people from outside look at our hobby, look at our community and just see um, the black sheep, and then think like everyone is a black sheep. But uh, that's something which will get us in the next couple of years uh, where we like don't go against this whole stuff just because a few people uh, in the hobby are like doing stuff for the completely wrong reason in in bad ways. Mm -hmm. So everyone is like in a bad light. It's uh, yeah. It it actually like really kind of reminds me. It's like, we talked earlier about um, brown boxing and stuff, which we can talk about that a little mm. bit more in depth. But essentially, whenever people brown box and get caught, that's what people see. Like they see people breaking the law in the hobby that the media will pick that up and say, look at how bad these tarantula keepers are. Somebody shipped all of these tarantulas into the country illegally and like, disguise because i know they'll like you know really try to hide them sometimes and and that's what people will see and they'll think of us all like that and it's kind of the same with like you know the poaching and stuff like that they'll 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 see those people and they'll just assume we're all kind of out here doing something wrong or ethically that's true yeah most of the times and so it's sadly also the case that the people who are doing the right thing the right way they're not the ones uh doing like huge uh, Facebook and Instagram posts and talking about it in the public. They're doing this stuff for like 10, 20, 30 years uh, for themselves. They just love spiders. They just do it without the the aim to like get thousands of dollars for any new blue spider. They just like to breed spiders. They like to observe them. And then when they have like captive bred spiderlings, they like to give them away to friends. And sometimes, yeah. of course, they sell them. But it's not their main intention. It's a hobby. It's not a... How do you say? It's not like someone has to live from their money. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. I think that, like, people... I think anybody who gets involved in the tarantula hobby starts off with an interest in it. I don't think people automatically come into it. Or maybe I'm just naive. But I don't think people come into it expecting money but when they find out that there's a possibility to get money it turns into a whole new Mm. thing and you can definitely tell the people who really um 
are concerned with the hobby and conservation and the well-being of the hobby and tarantulas in general. Um, and then you can kind of see who might not be as concerned with the, those sort of mm. things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. After yeah. a while. But it's also the whole the whole legal part and illegal parts, the whole is it sustainable or not part. It's like really easy to just say, well, just get your spiders on a legal way. But what's the definition yeah. of legal? And does it make it more ethically correct? It's like we have a still, for example, the whole... Uh, tarantulas from the African continent, uh, like the Heteroscodra maculata or the all these different Hystrocrates species, you mainly get them still as wild caught. And there, I, I don't know any person um, who is going there collecting them in an illegal way. So they're all coming, mm-hmm. and I know that for a fact, they're coming from legal exports from these countries, from Benin, from Togo. They're exporting tarantulas on a legal way and at a huge scale. And there we're already at the same uh, point as Chile was like two years ago when they stopped with it. It's just maybe for you out there as a listener to this podcast, do not only think is my tarantula legally here, even though it's a wild caught, maybe always also think like how many of these were on the seller's table? Were like 50 yeah. heteroscodra maculata adult females there? Or if you asked like if there's one or two more, he said, yeah, well, you can have 30. Maybe something is not right. And even it is like legally right and correct, it's maybe not the best way uh, to harvest wild tarantulas in in that uh, scale absolutely oh, it's crazy and also i noticed that i had um some people there like commenting that are like avidly against wild caught and i i just want to stress that like being involved in the tarantula hobby you are supporting it whether you want to or you don't mm-hmm. because the, the captive bred slings you're buying are coming probably from wild-caught specimens. And although that is ethical to get a captive bred sling, um, in the eyes of the law, even like we, we've seen in the past, if a wild-caught tarantula is here illegally and has captive bred babies, the, the, they're just as mm. illegal. You know what I'm saying? Because it's it's coming from a wild-caught. So I, I just see it as the same. Um I think everybody needs to, I don't know, really like see what, what happens in the hobby, because I don't think it's talked about very much and I don't think people know. Yeah. I I don't know. Like I definitely didn't know when I joined the hobby about any of that, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And yeah, it's a huge topic. And as I mentioned, like the good people are also not talking about it because Let's say, hypothetically, that 10 years ago, someone who, like, loves tarantulas, he has, like, a couple of them at home, he travels to a country called Ecuador, and then he finds, like, five 
specimens of the very same species, but he also sees like there are 40 others on the very same habitat. So then he sees like there are 40. Okay, I will get five of them, bring them back to the US and then breed them. But back in the days, no one really sold them for a high amount of money as wild-caught specimens. So they usually ended up in people's hands who were breeding them for several generations. Mm-hmm. And we always, uh, not always, but we, we still see that uh, sometimes from, I would say, the right people, that these people who go out finding new species of tarantulas and getting them in the hobby are not the, uh, are not the ones who are selling wild-caught animals. A hundred percent, yes. These are, in, in our words, the illegal poachers because these are the ones who go out there collecting uh, new species of tarantulas to then bring them in the hobby. But the way they do it yep. is a total different way than either the legal way of like legally exporting 20,000 adult tarantulas each year, but it's also like a different way that they are managing to, to breed these different generations first, maybe one or two generations, make sure that there's a lot of uh, captive bred slangs around. Uh, some friends of them have like 20 specimens each, and then they maybe start selling them for like $20, $30. Usually there are no high prices involved. And that's basically how this hobby got so big. That's how we have so many tarantula species in the hobby. Because when there would be like so many species sold for $300 each species, uh, each specimen, this would not be that big. Most most Yeah, that is exactly what um, Tom Patterson, I I spoke to him before I made that video too. Awesome. And that is like exactly like what he had said, like these people that, that have done that are not always following the law, but are they the poachers or is it the people, you know, importing legally mm. all of these wild caught specimens? It, and it's so hard to even like comment on it because I don't know the laws of every country. Mm. I don't know the import export laws everywhere. Um, I don't know what is legal and illegal in every other country, but it, it doesn't make sense that those people are painted the criminal who are, you know, collecting a few wild caught breeding selling eventually it it doesn't it doesn't make sense yeah it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) what what do you think is like the answer to to all of this what what is your thought i don't have the answer yet i see just so many problems arising which is which is maybe not a good thing but it might be the start of a solution when you see that many problems arising. So, yeah, it's it's hard. I think on one side, Mexico uh, is doing a good job since they are one of the first countries, or to my knowledge, the only country who is like uh, locally breeding their, their endemic species of Mexico and then just uh, export the offspring of them. Um, yes. So even though with the CITES 2, uh, you are allowed to export legally wild-caught uh, Brachypelon species, for example, they do not longer do it. Um, so they just 
collect uh, these specimens uh, in Mexico and then they will breed them in Mexico and export uh, just these these uh, spiderlings. Um, so yeah, it's a start. It's like it's a good good approach, and they also do it for non-cites uh, tarantulas. For example, the Psalmoqueos uh, victori, the arboreal uh, tarantula from Mexico. Yeah. Uh, they also uh, bred it locally in Mexico and then exported it. And uh, still, they're. Obviously, are people who are researchers uh, that think that it's it's not a good way or it's not possible to breed uh, tarantulas and then export it. So, it's it's quite a hard topic. It's like what I try to do is now because almost every article or almost every scientific article which is coming out is like discussing this whole natural history stuff, right? So they say okay, this tarantula might be potentially endangered since they have a huge habitat loss and destruction. Um, but they also mentioned that there could be a potential threat since uh, the pet trade is there and they might uh, poach them illegally. So that's what they do in now every paper. And uh, what I try to do is when I digest this news or this article, I try to find uh, like evidence against this allegation so that for example mm -hmm. in this new uh, publication of uh, this uh, davos like these new potential 12 uh, species uh, which get described in the near future but also in this uh, start of the revision uh, she mentioned that there might be uh, illegal poaching like not not what's the english word for it like potentially harming the population of these 12 new species. So mm -hmm. that's potentially true, right? So everyone authored the publication, uh, could go there and then uh, collect uh, these specimens for the pet trade. But fact is that all these data of these new species is public already in the internet. And oh, someone... Yeah who is like a professional poacher and someone who wants to earn money with illegal things, they would have gone there already for like the last past five years or so. And this didn't oh, yeah. happen. And it's also with way more colorful species, for example, the whole Tufocholaena species from Brazil. All of these species, their locality data is known since 2012. So if there would be any like professional poaching or illegal poaching happening, it's eight years later now. Where, yeah. are, where are all my different Tifoholena species, please? So it's like, <laughs> what the heck? They are like trying to make the scene better or worse than it actually is. Yeah, And that's a bit my my concern because then we're back at this very start with the black sheep so there are a few people who do it do it just really for the money and are not concerned about the tarantulas but yeah it's it's a hard hard topic i think well, like what really made me not want to talk about it sooner um because nate's video kind of obviously triggered me into making my wild caught video but it, it's something that's like weighed heavily on me more and more and I do get subscribers ask me from time to time, too, like what my thoughts are on it. But 
what really like kind of kept me from making a video or at least talking more in depth about my feelings on it is the fact that I'm always afraid um, that people are going to use our words against us. You know, people who are advocating for laws um, to protect tarantulas. And so that's why I really want to stress that I don't really necessarily think more laws is is the answer um, because they're not typically writing them to protect the tarantula. They're writing them to uh, make people into criminals, in my opinion. Mm. Um, but that that's kind of like something that really made me question talking about it is because, you know, there are people out there legislating in, in many different countries, not just the U.S., mm. against the wildlife trade and things like that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. In the U.S., the, the topic of the brown boxing is like still a huge, huge thing. So that there are like a lot of people are illegally importing stuff and animals from overseas, like captive bred spiderlings from Europe. What, mm-hmm. what do you know more about this topic? So I know that there are people very against it. And I'm one of those people, I think, that. Even if a law doesn't make sense, we need to follow it because, like I said, when somebody breaks a law and gets caught in the hobby, it makes us all look bad. And um, so that's that's just my opinion. But um, people still do it, unfortunately. People brown box. And um, I, I know that when they made it to where the Sri Lanka Peace Lotharia can't cross state lines, I know that people already started talking about it right away saying, well, they're just going to get brown boxed here. Mm. Um, I believe that's true. I, that's why I feel like that law wasn't really helpful at all because it just kind of made people in, into criminals that were doing something legal, like, you know, a couple years ago, but now it's illegal. And now the only way to get them um, almost mm. is illegally. And so it, it just, it makes it, it makes it all icky. Yeah. Um, as for the brown boxing, people also think that it's like so much cheaper to, you know, illegally get tarantulas over here. Um, but they don't realize, or maybe they do and they don't care, that when you're bringing these tarantulas here illegally um, in a brown box, you're hitting the vendors that actually do import um, where it hurts because they, they have all of these hoops they jump through to bring tarantulas here legally for us and they pay these fees and they go through this huge process and they go to these airports and customs and everything just to get all these tarantulas here for us and then people will still kind of bring in things illegally Mm. and if you have so many people doing it illegal then the people who are doing it the right way are the ones who will get hurt could not have said it better (laughs) it's like you're harming your local businesses in the u.s you're harming the people who are like comply with with the laws to import uh, the stuff or the animals legally Uh, i'm also referring just always referring to stuff i don't i don't treat uh, the animals as stuff but it's just my english vocabulary (laughs) so yeah it's like the same in in europe like when there is legal exportation there is also legal imports 
Um, and ironically, uh, some people who have collected illegally in the wild, um, like they mentioned five specimens, mm-hmm. um, they were able to legally import them to, let's say, Netherlands or France. So when you go out to the customs there and say, hey, I have five specimens of tarantulas, they let you legally import them since you comply with the law. But of course, you did not comply with the law when you illegally exported them. So that's another topic. It has nothing to do with the brown boxing. But uh, it makes just, yeah, like for the listeners, it's like just because when you get a tarantula in a legal way, in a non-brown boxed way, does not mean that the tarantula has entered the hobby legally in its origin. That's true. Yeah, even if you get one from a pet, a chain pet store, it, it doesn't make it mean that it was brought there legally in the first place. Yeah. So, I think the conclusion of this, I think, very first brief uh, introduction to this whole dilemma we have is like, on my end at least, that we have laws we have to comply with. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you put it all into perspective, there might be some things which are not ethically correct. And you might find yourself um, arguing against the laws, which, for example, allows the exportation and importation of 20,000 adult Gramostola rosea. You think it's not okay ethically. You, you, You can't really live with that. But at the same time, it's legal. So on my end, at least, I have somewhat of a ethical, moral compass and try to find out on how this tarantula actually made its way uh, into the, the breeding's, breeder's room or at the end, my room. But I tend to like the idea more that five specimens um, flew with one passenger to like another country and then got bred for like two or three generations and then sold as captive spiderling more than actually exporting, I don't know, 20,000 heteroscodra maculata from Togo in a container where like 50% died and then the rest of them is on a table on a cellar for like $15 in adult specimen. Yes, that's another thing too, is that like when there's so many wild-caught specimens getting sent out like you know that there's so many losses on the way yeah of course it's like four years or five years ago when the chilean exports were still running uh, the people right next to me who who made these imports these legal imports they were calculating the loss of like 35 percent it's totally normal and another 20 percent were full of parasites because these were wild caught animals yeah so you had to put them into quarantine and on like i don't know i would say 20 percent of them or more sometimes, there was like a a huge wasp uh, puppet emerging from the tarantula. Oh my God. But it was legal. Yeah. So (laughs) so what's the better way, right? It's like the laws do not make sense in all of times, but you have to comply to them. I understand it. Still, it's something we have to change, I think, in the future. A hundred percent. I totally agree on that 
And then also you have to think about, too, that all those wild-caught ones that get here legally, too, that, that they can come with problems and you don't know their age and you don't know, you True. know, anything about them. So even just keeping a wild-caught tarantula sometimes can be frustrating because you don't know how it's been living the past 20 years of its life. Mm. Yep. There's so much to unpack there, though. <laughs> <laughs> there is. But I think for a first podcast after like six weeks or so, we did quite well. Yeah, I think it was a great conversation. And it's one I wanted to have with you. But, you know. And, uh, yeah, I think we have, what we did we say? Like, we, we aim for one a month now. And I try to get my schedule working a little bit better. Yeah, we can try to do so, do one a month we, or we two could, a month yeah. would be even better. But and and the more listeners who send us like messages and these nice voice messages who can get incorporated into our podcasts, yeah. uh, the better and the more motivation and uh, we get this thing running. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I think that was a pretty good conversation. I feel like you know, there's a lot to, to discuss there. And, um, if people want to send in some, uh, anchor comments as well for us to talk about, that would be really cool. We're going to try to really, um, hop back on this podcast, uh, more often now. So let us know what your opinions are and if you have any questions and yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And as Kat mentioned, just send us a message on whatever channel uh, you like. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for more episodes.